So I guess that means start, huh? <laughs> okay. All right, we're in the second section of Romans. That first section, Paul gave us God's purpose of salvation of Israel and of the nations. And he explained that the Torah, though good and holy, could not bring about life because of the law of sin and death that was in us. So God sent his son that by his death, burial, and resurrection, he would condemn sin in the flesh so that we could ultimately live in obedience to God's commands. Um, And so as God has called to himself by grace through faith, both Jews and Gentiles, we await the adoption of sons at the second coming when our resurrected bodies will share in his glory. In the meantime, because we've been buried with Christ in baptism, Paul tells us we're to present our bodies, these bodies that are subject to sin and to temptation and all that problem, we're to present them to God as living sacrifices, um, even though they're frail. And we are to live by love, reckoning ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And Paul then tells us what that looks like. As he talks about this, he makes it clear that we're at different levels of maturity. We're different in our gifting. Uh, We are to use those differences for the benefit of the community of faith. And we're to live at peace with all people to the extent that it depends on us. That's a key part of this. We're not supposed to make peace throughout the world. We're supposed to live at peace with everybody as much as depends on us. We're not to seek our own vengeance. We're to love, bless, and pray even for those who hate and abuse us. And Paul included, as we saw last week, the government and those in authority so that we pay what's due to each person, not to be in debt to anyone, but to love them. And by living by love, he says, we fulfill the Torah in the present context. Well, it'll come into full operation when the kingdom happens, but we begin to approximate it in that context. So he tells us to put on the Lord Jesus and not make any profession provision for the flesh. That's where we left. So today we pick up uh, Romans 14, and I'm going to make it into 15 a little bit because it's all one uh, section. So 14.1 says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Really interesting text here. Paul's about to explain how we live at peace with each other. It's what I call practicing the presence of the body of Christ. We practice the presence of God by acknowledging Him in all our ways uh, and thanking Him for His presence. And we do that imperfectly, though He's perfect. He never leaves us, He never forsakes us, but How are we going to live at peace with imperfect people, ourselves being imperfect, our brother or sister who we are clearly aware that they're not perfect, right? Well, Paul says, I want you to accept each other. And he says, with this word accept one another, it's a word that means to receive, to take in, to care for, to befriend. In other words, it's not just tolerating. This is really about treating 
the other believer as your brother or sister. And he says that we're to do that even to the weak one. The weak one. What an odd term. Weak in faith. Weak in faith. Some people say, oh, you don't have enough faith. You're weak in faith. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's going to explain this. He's going to explain it with two examples. Um, But this is going to become a problem for the Western churches because Paul's going to say we're not to judge each other's opinions. And in the Western church, we're very big on what's the right thing to believe. And if you don't believe it right, you're a heretic and we need to avoid you. And Paul's going to argue that we can be a little broader in our acceptance of a weaker brother who has not come to the awareness of what you, who are strong in the faith, have. So, we're going to pick it up at verse 2 where Paul explains this. 14 verse 2. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt, that means dismiss, the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one, that means condemn, the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. He will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who eats does so to the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not to the Lord He does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. None of us live to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, if we live to the Lord, if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And for this purpose, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. Now, Paul's going to give us two examples. I find it fascinating that both of his examples are primarily related not to righteousness commandments, good and evil, but to holiness commandments, being identified with God versus common. Uh, One is eating, and the other one is observing of days. So, he starts with eating, and he says, the one who has faith, eats everything, and the one who is weak eats vegetables. Now, it would be really easy to say, it's because you need protein. Okay, He's not talking about diet. I know Americans were focused on diet. They're talking about food that is sacrificed to idols. So one guy says, that idol's nothing, I can eat this. And the other guy goes, That was sacrificed to a God. I don't belong to that God. I belong to the Lord. And what Paul's arguing here is that this one who is weak in the faith is eating vegetables probably like Daniel. Daniel only ate vegetables because the meat was sacrificed to another God. So, what's going on here? What do we mean by strong faith and weak faith? The difference, he says, is not our basis of judging the other person. 
Paul says that each one is to have, is to leave the other one alone. Why? Because you're not in charge of him. He belongs to his Lord. And his Lord will bring him along as he needs to. And you may see it clear enough to tell him what to do, but that, you know, that's not your job. That's really what Paul's saying. He says, this guy has a good reason for his practice. He is trying to avoid confusing the faith that he has in the Lord with this false God. The other guy's going, it's a false God. Just eat it, right? And this guy's going, I'm not so sure of that. What are they doing? They're both trying to follow the Lord. This is not somebody going their own way, doing their own thing. This is somebody who is struggling with the Word, struggling with their relationship with God, and trying as best they understand to follow the Lord in that context. So then Paul gives us another example. Second one is observance of days. Probably this is in relationship to the holy days. And he says one guy treats all the days the same, and another one treats certain days as special. Okay, What does Paul say? You should be convinced in your mind. Again, he's bringing us back to this relationship to the Lord. It's my relationship to the Lord that I'm doing this. I'm not doing this because of I just want to do it or I don't want to do it. I'm tr- struggling to be obedient to the Lord. In both cases, Paul says, whether it's food or days, the issue of eating or not eating, observing or not observing, is to the Lord. To the Lord. Again, this is not somebody who's trying to live his own life. He's trying to deny himself, take up his cross and follow the Lord. He's come to a different conclusion because at the level of faith maturity, one is stronger in in a broader understanding, and one is still in a more narrow understanding. That weak notion is, is not about uh, inferiority. It's about not being fully matured in that context. So, it's to the Lord observing or not observing, to the Lord eating or not in earning. Because we don't live to ourselves, we don't die to ourselves. Now this is a problem for those of us who have strong feelings about what's right and wrong about this stuff. And every year about this time I get the nonsense about Christmas being pagan based. And then I get the nonsense about why would you guys do anything about Hanukkah? That's Jewish. That's Old Testament. That's gone. And we get that kind of battle going on. And even within the communities of faith. Paul says... Work on this for yourself. We work on this as a community. And we're to leave the others alone. Because the Lord will be able to take care of them. We should spend time thinking about our own behavior of what we do. Instead of thinking about the other person. Now why are we doing that? Well, Paul makes it really clear in Romans 9. 14, 9, verse 9, sorry. He said, For to this end Christ died and lives again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? That's dismissing him. Uh, 
Because we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. As it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So what is Paul saying? It's not your job, right? It's not my job to judge you and to assess how well you're walking with the Lord. Okay? It's not your job to assess how well I'm walking with In Youth for Christ, we used to call this, quit playing the Holy Spirit for each other, right? We, we sometimes think it's our job to take care of them. Now, if you're a parent and you have children, it's your job, right? If you're pastors and you're working with your congregation, it's your job. But that's in an oversight position and a maturing position. It's not a matter of condemning in that sense, right? So what he says is, this person belongs to the Lord, and the Lord has accepted him, so you should accept him too. It's not your job. Paul goes to Isaiah in chapter 45, 23, where God says, As I live... Everyone shall swear to me, says the Lord. And Paul uses this in the context that Jesus died to be Lord. He's in charge. He's going to be the judge. He will make that determination. And we'll all stand in the judgment of God. And I'm not standing in the judgment of God for you. As, an, as a fellow believer. Okay? I will stand in judgment of God for you as my congregation. The elders will have a greater judgment in that sense. But in, I get another brother somewhere. I'm not his pastor, and so I don't control him. Right? I don't, I don't give an account for him. I'm going to give an account for me. Believe me, I'm not looking forward to giving the account for me. I don't need the extra baggage of giving an account for someone else. Right? So, Paul says... That And I want you to understand that this is going to happen at the end of time. God's not finished with us. Paul says God is able to make him stand. Paul's argument is that he who began a good work in us will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so we're not done yet. And where you are today is not where you're going to be as you get closer to being with the Lord. We keep growing in grace and knowledge right up until the time that we die. And the Lord will judge and He will judge rightly. Uh, so that's not what we're supposed to be doing. This is done to the Lord, not doing what's right in our own eyes. So if there is a place in the congregation for us to rebuke somebody who's in open sin... But he's talking about where we have these differing opinions with regard to the holiness issues that we're trying to work through. So, I want to pick it up at verse 13. So he says, so stop this judging of each other, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Now Paul says, I know, and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean. Remember he's talking about holy versus clean and unclean stuff. Not talking about good and evil. Nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything is unclean, to him it is unclean. This goes back to the issue of conscience. We are not to violate our conscience. 
Even if your conscience is wrong. Because if you sear your conscience, then you won't discern the right and wrong when it's actually working correctly. So, if you deem something to be unclean, to you it's unclean. He says, for if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking to love. Do not destroy with your food him whom, for whom Christ died. I'm eating meat sacrificed to an idol. I'm sitting in the temple of the idol just snacking away because I don't think that being even exists. So I'm just having a good meal. And a brother comes in and he goes, man, you're in, you're in Apollo's temple. What, what are you doing there, right? Ah, I don't, and he's bothered. He's damaged. This is not about somebody being judgmental and condemning you. He's already said they can't do it. This is somebody who this is crushing. This is affecting their development with the Lord. And he says, you're using your food to harm the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, don't let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. I don't... This, this kind of is a struggle. When you reach a point where you understand and you're doing it, and now I've got to, I've got to slow down and pace with the weaker brother. Yes. Right? Because we're walking by love and not by how fast can I get to the finish line. Right? So then he says, we are to pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. I need to be able to downshift, avoid that with my brother while he comes along in that, in that context. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things are indeed are clean. But they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. We sometimes, and you know this, there are so many people who have been damaged by religious people being judgmental towards other religious people. And they're weak in the faith and they finally just give up. We're not supposed to do that. So he says it's not good to eat meat or to drink wine or anything that... Causes your brother to stumble. Now I remember in the 60's. There was a lot of discussion about clothing. And these verses. Paul's talking about the issue. Of the person's conscience. Regarding God. He's not talking about something that I just don't like. I just don't like that they do that. Right. We've got churches that split over choruses versus hymns. Right. And I just don't like what you do. That's just being a spoiled brat. You rebuke a spoiled brat. But a person who's actually being harmed, their faith is now a greater struggle because of the way you're living your life. That, Paul says, is not walking in love. So, uh, we're damaging the body of Christ when we do this, Paul says. So, he gives us this in Romans. He gives it in a little different form in Corinthians. So if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to look at that real uh, briefly. 
I'm glad that Paul uh, wrote to the several churches, and in each of the churches, he covers the same things, but he covers them with a little different emphasis. It helps us to get a broader perspective on that. So Paul says this, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant. Love edifies. What's he doing? We're back to the issue. You can be a Bible scholar and know this faith really well, and so you're able to judge everybody. That's arrogance. We're to walk humbly with our God and in love with our brother. Love edifies. Love is trying to help the brother, not fighting for our own liberty. He says, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. No one has arrived. So in the other one, he says, hey, it's not your job to judge them. Here he says, you're not all that far as you think you are, right? Now, I remember times when I was absolutely convinced of something in this faith and was pretty settled on it. And then I realized that that was more Christian than biblical, and I had to adjust my thinking. So we're not, we haven't arrived, right? But if anyone loves God, he is known by him, right? This is a relational faith of us with God and us with each other that should be interacted in love. Therefore, concerning the eating of things to sacrifice to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods in heaven or on earth, indeed there are many gods and many lords, but for us... There is one God, the Father from whom are all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all, are all things, and we exist through Him. That's the mature faith statement. Paul says, however, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now. They're a relatively new believer. They're trying to come out of the world. You seem to be in it and of it. You're really not. You're in it but not of it. But he doesn't get that, right? He eats it as if it were sacrificed to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. It begins to do damage to this person's conscience. Okay? They're, not, they're not upset with you. They're actually going along with you, but it's causing damage to them. Food will not commend us to God, for neither are we the worse if we don't eat, nor are we the better if we eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, who has knowledge, sitting at the idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? And through your knowledge, the one who is weak is ruined, the brother for whom Christ died. Notice that it's almost the identical context, almost the same thing that Paul's saying, he's just saying it a little different. And so by sinning against the brother and wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you are actually sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again, 
so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Now again, Paul's not saying that there's anything wrong with eating. He's, uh, he's actually told them, you know, if you find it in the shambles, eat it. But if somebody says, this was sacrificed to a god, then don't eat it. Right? Why? Because you're maintaining the weaker conscience of the brother. So, Paul's not concerned that we can do whatever we think is right. He wants us to consider the weak conscience of our brother or sister. This is not about disagreement or something they don't like. This is about their relationship with the Lord. So we live in the world where, and you and I live now in a world where everybody's offended by everything. You can't hiccup without somebody being offended. If we're going to do that, we have to go out of the world, right? We just have to leave. We can't do anything. He's really talking about in our relationships with the brothers that we know, we have to be careful with the weaker ones to bring them along. We don't want them to be damaged in their maturing. Now, we've all been through this process where people have been less than helpful in our maturing. And we've known people that have been helpful in our maturing. And Paul's saying, we want to be those people. We don't want to be the ones that that do the damage. We're trying to help each other for their growth. So, Paul then addresses this not only to the Corinthians, but to the Colossians. So turn over to Colossians chapter 2. Two verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men and the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head and overall rule and authority. In him You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removing of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Notice that same context of tying this to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and we're to live in this newness of life. When you were dead in transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death uh, consisting of degrees against us, uh, and, and took it out of the way, nailed it to the cross. So get now down to verse 16. Therefore, Let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. It's interesting he says a Sabbath, not the Sabbath. So he's talking about the holy days. No one's supposed to judge us. We're not supposed to judge them if they don't observe them. They're not supposed to judge us if we do observe them. Because we're struggling with our relationship to the Lord. I like doing the holy days because I learn something. If I ever reach a point where I'm observing the holy days and I don't get something new out of it, I might consider stop doing it. I don't feel like I'm compelled to do it. But they really help reinforce my faith. 
I think they do yours as well. We keep learning more details of that. That's good. Are they not true believers because they don't do it? No. So, again, Paul's making this very clear. No one is allowed to be our judge. Why? Because they're doing it in arrogance. But if someone's truly confused and troubled uh, by our walk, we have to be careful to accept them and try not to damage their faith in the Lord. So, now back to Romans 14. We're going to pick it up at verse 22. These are really important verses. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. You following that? This is not a faith of your own making. It's your faith in relationship to God that you are fully convinced that you are moving in the direction that God wants you to move. And because you know you'll stand accountable to God for that. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But the one who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because his eating is not from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. That verse haunted me for a long time. The reason it haunted me was I realized I was living most of my life not by faith. I was living salvation by faith. I was living my life the best I could. And in acknowledging God in all my ways and bringing God into different areas of my life and say, what does the word have to say about that? How do I address this with the Lord? In everything. In everything. The music I listen to, the people I associate with, the things that I do, all of that begins to practice both the presence of God and the presence of the community of faith. The faith that you have is yours. It's between you and the Lord. But you have to be convinced, fully convinced, because if you are doing these things with a clear conscience... Not a seared conscience. A clear conscience, not a unformed conscience. You're doing them out of conviction. Then you're going to be happy. But the one who doubts, the one who's not sure what they should do, begins to just follow other people's behavior that isn't based on their conviction. It's just based on going along with the crowd. And Paul says that's sin. Whatever is not faith before God is sin, so you should be judging yourself, not your brother or your sister. Now Paul continues this in the next chapter, so I want to look at the, the um, Romans 15, 1-7. Because he's summing it up. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. And not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. In other words, we're to be focused on each other's spiritual growth for their good, not for 
you know, saying, I'm, I'm above you. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And Paul says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I want to stop there for a moment and read 1 Corinthians 10, 23-33. Because Paul begins Corinthians 10 by saying, those things that were written in the Old Testament were written to instruct us. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 10, beginning at 23. I'm going to pick it up a little earlier because I want you to see his context. His context is verse 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. We all partake of one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean by this? That a thing sacrificed to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. In other words, in their mind, they're sacrificing to this other God, not our God. And I want you to not be sharers with that consciousness. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than Him? All things are lawful, not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but they don't edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Everything that is sold in the meat market, without asking questions, for conscience sake. Just leave it alone. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. But if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that's set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, don't eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, because they have consciousness of the idol, and for conscience sake, your own conscience sake, not violating his. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's, for why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I... Slandered concerning that for which I give thanks. That's our reasoning. Well, I can do it. I'm okay. But he's not okay. And you have to be concerned about him. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Giving no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. That's a fascinating verse from Paul. Because Paul offended a lot of people. People, people were upset with Paul constantly. But he was not using his faith to offend them. They were offended by the gospel. His behavior, they weren't offended by. They were offended by his message. He tried to, to, to those under the law, I became as under the law. To those without the law, I became as without the law, yet not without law to God, right? He's trying to not let his behavior destroy the message that he's, that he's bringing. 
So we're back to to Romans 15, uh, the first five verses there. So in verse 5 he says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ. The goal for us is to all grow in grace and in knowledge to a mature man, exercising our gifts. And we're going to have to do that sometimes by allowing ourselves to slow the pace for the help of those who are weaker in the faith. So that with one accord, you may all with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. How did, how did God accept you? Did He accept you in maturity of the faith? He accepted you in the most rudimentary Almost no understanding. I can be forgiven if I come to Him just as I am. That's how we all got in. That's, that's where we are. And some of us have grown past that. And we're all supposed to grow past that. But we're growing at different paces. And we're coming from different backgrounds. You don't know the struggles that other people have. We're focused on the glory of God. So, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace is our calling together. We have different and often unknown struggles. We have differing gifts. We're at different levels of maturity. And in the larger body, the differences of doctrines and practices are well known. We are to see the body as one and do what we can while living to the Lord, fully convinced in our own mind, but accepting one another even with our differences. And then God says, if you're really mature, you will bear the weakness of the other one. In other words, to him who has been given much, much is required. It's not like we can jettison ourselves from our weaker brothers. We can jettison ourselves from the the children among us. We have to help and do that for their good so that we will all come to maturity at the same way. That command doesn't sit well in American culture. It's not the way of this culture, but it is the way of the Lord. Let's pray.